Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Tonight. I will be reading two short stories by Oscar Wilde, The Remarkable Rocket and The Selfish Giant. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. The Remarkable Rocket The king's son was going to be married, so there were general rejoicings. He had waited a whole year for his bride, and at last she had arrived. She was a Russian princess, and had driven all the way from Finland in a sledge drawn by six reindeer. The sledge was shaped like a great golden swan 
and between the swan's wings lay the little princess herself. Her long ermine cloak reached right down to her feet. On her head was a tiny cap of silver tissue, and she was as pale as the snow palace in which she had always lived. So pale was she that, as she drove through the streets, all the people wondered. She is like a white rose, they cried, and they threw down flowers on her from the balconies. At the gate of the castle, the prince was waiting to receive her. He had dreamy violet eyes and his hair was like fine gold. When he saw her, he sank upon one knee and kissed her hand. Your picture was beautiful, he murmured, but you are more beautiful than your picture. And the little princess blushed. She was like a white rose before, said a young page to his neighbor, but she is like a red rose now. And the whole court was delighted. For the next three days, everybody went about saying, White rose, red rose, red rose, white rose. And the king gave orders that the page's salary was to be doubled. As he received no salary at all, this was not of much use to him, but it was considered a great honor and was duly published in the court gazette. When the three days were over, the marriage was celebrated. It was a magnificent ceremony and the bride and bridegroom walked hand in hand under a canopy of purple velvet embroidered with little pearls. Then there was a state banquet which lasted for five hours. The prince and princess sat at the top of the great hall and drank out of a cup of clear crystal. Only true lovers could drink out of this cup, for if false lips touched it, it grew grey and dull and cloudy. It's quite clear that they love each other, said the little page, as clear as crystal. And the king doubled his salary a second time. What an honor, cried all the courtiers. After the banquet, there was to be a ball. The bride and bridegroom were to dance, the rose danced together, and the king had promised to play the flute. He played very badly, but no one had ever dared to tell him so, because he was the king. Indeed, he knew only two airs and was never quite certain which one he was playing, but it made no matter, for whatever he did, everybody cried out, Charming, charming. The last item on the program was a grand display of fireworks to be let off exactly at midnight. The little princess had never seen a firework in her life, so the king had given orders that the royal pyrotechnist should be in attendance on the day of her marriage. What are fireworks like? she had asked the prince one morning as she was walking on the terrace. They are like the Aurora Borealis, said the king, who always answered questions that were addressed to other people. Only, much more natural. I prefer them to stars myself, as you always know when they're going to appear, and they are as delightful as my own flute playing. You must certainly see them. So at the end of the king's garden, a great stand had been set up, and as soon as the royal pyrotechnist had put everything in its proper place, the fireworks began to talk to each other. The world is certainly very beautiful, cried a little squib. Just look at those yellow tulips. Why, if they were real crackers, they could not be lovelier. I'm very glad I've travelled. Travel improves the mind wonderfully, and does away with all one's prejudices. The king's garden is not the world, you foolish squib, 
said a big Roman candle. The world is an enormous place, and it would take you three days to see it thoroughly. Any place you love is the world to you, exclaimed a pensive Catherine Wheel, who had been attached to an old deal box in early life and prided herself on her broken heart. But love is not fashionable anymore. The poets have killed it. They wrote so much about it that nobody believed them, and I am not surprised. True love suffers and is silent. I remember myself once, but it is no matter now. Romance is a thing of the past. Nonsense, said the Roman candle. Romance never dies. It is like the moon and lives forever. The bride and bridegroom, for instance, love each other very dearly. I heard all about them this morning from a brown paper cartridge, who happened to be staying in the same drawer as myself and knew the latest court news. But the Catherine Wheel shook her head. Romance is dead. Romance is dead. Romance is dead, she murmured. She was one of those people who think that if you say the same thing over and over a great many times, it becomes true in the end. Suddenly, a sharp, dry cough was heard, and they all looked round. It came from a tall, supercilious-looking rocket who was tied to the end of a long stick. He always coughed before he made any observation so as to attract attention. <clears throat> he said, and everybody listened except the poor Catherine Wheel, who was still shaking her head and murmuring, Romance is dead. Order, order, cried out a cracker. He was something of a politician and had always taken a prominent part in the local elections, so he knew the proper parliamentary expressions to use. Quite dead, whispered the Catherine Wheel, and she went off to sleep. As soon as there was perfect silence, the rocket coughed a third time and began. He spoke with a very slow, distinct voice, as if he was dictating his memoirs, and always looked over the shoulder of the person to whom he was talking. In fact, he had a most distinguished manner. How fortunate it is for the king's son, he remarked, that he is to be married on the very day on which I am to be let off. Really, if it had been arranged beforehand, it could not have turned out better for him. But princes are always lucky. Dare me, said the little squib. I thought it was quite the other way, and that we were to be let off in the prince's honour. It may be so to you, he answered. Indeed, I have no doubt that it is. But with me, it is different. I am a very remarkable rocket, and come from remarkable parents. My mother was the most celebrated Catherine Wheel of her day, and was renowned for her graceful dancing. When she made her great public appearance, she spun round nineteen times before she went out, and each time that she did so, she threw into the air seven pink stars. She was three feet and a half in diameter and made of the very best gunpowder. My father was a rocket like myself and of French extraction. He flew so high that the people were afraid that he would never come down again. He did, though, for he was of a kindly disposition and he made a most brilliant descent in a shower of golden rain. The newspapers wrote about his performance in very flattering terms. Indeed, the court gazette called him a triumph of pyrotechnic art. Pyrotechnic, pyrotechnic, you mean, said a Bengal light. I know it is pyrotechnic, for I saw it written on my canister. 
Well, I said pylotechnic, answered the rocket, in a severe tone of voice. And the Bengal light felt so crushed that he began at once to bully the little squibs in order to show that he was still a person of some importance. I was saying, continued the rocket, I was saying, what was I saying? You were talking about yourself, replied the Roman candle. Of course, I knew I was discussing some interesting subject when I was so rudely interrupted. I hate rudeness and bad manners of every kind, for I am extremely sensitive. No one in the whole world is so sensitive as I am, I am quite sure of that. What is a sensitive person? said the cracker to the Roman candle. A person who, because he has corns himself, always treads on other people's toes, answered the Roman candle in a low whisper. And the cracker nearly exploded with laughter. Pray, what are you laughing at? inquired the rocket. I am laughing because I am happy, replied the cracker. That is a very selfish reason, said the rocket angrily. What right have you to be happy? You should be thinking about others. In fact, you should be thinking about me. I am always thinking about myself, and I expect everybody else to do the same. That is what is called sympathy. It is a beautiful virtue, and I possess it in a high degree. Suppose, for instance, anything happened to me tonight. What a misfortune that would be for everyone. The prince and princess would never be happy again. Their whole married life would be spoiled. And as for the king, I know he would not get over it. Really, when I begin to reflect on the importance of my position, I'm almost moved to tears. If you want to give pleasure to others, cried the Roman candle, you had better keep yourself dry. Certainly, exclaimed the Bengal light, who is now in better spirits. That is only common sense. Common sense indeed, said the rocket indignantly. You forget that I am very uncommon and very remarkable. Why, anybody can have common sense provided that they have no imagination. But I have imagination, for I never think of things as they really are. I always think of them as being quite different. As for keeping myself dry, there is evidently no one here who can at all appreciate an emotional nature. Fortunately for myself, I don't care. The only thing that sustains one through life is the consciousness of the immense inferiority of everybody else, and this is a feeling that I have always cultivated. But none of you have any hearts. Here you are laughing and making merry, just as if the prince and princess had not just been married. Well, really, exclaimed a small fire balloon, why not? It is a most joyful occasion, and when I soar up into the air, I intend to tell the stars all about it. You will see them twinkle when I talk to them about the pretty bride. Ah, uh, what a trivial view of life, said the rocket. But it is only what I expected. There is nothing in you. You are hollow and empty. Why, perhaps the prince and princess may go to live in a country where there is a deep river, and perhaps they may have only one son, a little fair-haired boy with violet eyes like the prince himself. And perhaps some day he may go out to walk with his nurse, and perhaps the nurse may go to sleep under a great elder tree, and perhaps the little boy may fall into the deep river and be drowned. What a terrible misfortune, poor people, to lose their only son. It is really dreadful. I shall never get over it. But they have not lost their only son, said the Roman candle. 
no misfortune has happened to them at all. I never said that they had, replied the rocket. I said that they might. If they had lost their only son, there would be no use in saying anything more about the matter. I hate people who cry over spilt milk. But when I think that they might lose their only son, I certainly am very much affected. You certainly are, cried the Bengal light. In fact, you are the most affected person I ever met. You are the rudest person I ever met, said the rocket, and you cannot understand my friendship for the prince. Why, you don't even know him, growled the Roman candle. I never said I knew him, answered the rocket. I dare say that if I knew him, I should not be his friend at all. It is a very dangerous thing to know one's friends. You had really better keep yourself dry, said the fire balloon. That is the important thing. Very important for you, I have no doubt, answered the rocket. But I shall weep if I choose. And he actually burst into real tears, which flowed down his stick like raindrops, and nearly drowned two little beetles, who were just thinking of setting up house together and were looking for a nice dry spot to live in. He must have a truly romantic nature, said the Catherine Wheel, for he weeps when there is nothing at all to weep about. And she heaved a deep sigh and thought about the deal box. But the Roman candle and the Bengal light were quite indignant and kept saying, humbug, humbug, at the top of their voices. They were extremely practical, and whenever they objected to anything, they called it humbug. Then the moon rose like a wonderful silver shield, and the stars began to shine, and a sound of music came from the palace. The prince and princess were leading the dance. They danced so beautifully that the tall white lilies peeped in at the window and watched them, and the great red poppies nodded their heads and beat time. Then ten o'clock struck, and then eleven, and then twelve, and at the last stroke of midnight, everyone came out on the terrace, and the king sent for the royal pyrotechnist. Let the fireworks begin, said the king, and the royal pyrotechnist made a low bow and marched down to the end of the garden. He had six attendants with him, each of whom carried a lighted torch at the end of a long pole. It was certainly a magnificent display. Whiz-whiz went the Catherine wheel as she spun round and round. Boom-boom went the Roman candle. And the squibs danced all over the place, and the Bengal lights made everything look scarlet. Goodbye, cried the fire balloon as he soared away, dropping tiny blue sparks. Bang, bang, answered the crackers, who were enjoying themselves immensely. Everyone was a great success, except the remarkable rocket. He was so damp with crying that he could not go off at all. The best thing in him was the gunpowder, and that was so wet with tears that it was of no use. All his poor relations, to whom he would never speak, except with a snare, shot up into the sky like wonderful golden flowers with blossoms of fire. Huzzah, huzzah, cried the court, and the little princess laughed with pleasure. I suppose they are reserving me for some grand occasion, said the rocket. No doubt that is what it means, and he looked more supercilious than ever. The next day the workmen came to put everything tidy. This is evidently a deputation, said the rocket. I will receive them with becoming dignity. So he put his nose in the air and began to frown severely as if he were thinking about some very important subject. But they took no notice of him at all 
till they were just going away. Then one of them caught sight of him. Hello, he cried. What a bad rocket. And he threw him over the wall into the ditch. Bad rocket? Bad rocket? he said, as he whirled through the air. Impossible. Grand rocket. That is what the man said. Bad and grand sound very much the same. Indeed, they are often the same. And he fell into the mud. It is not comfortable here, he remarked. But no doubt it is some fashionable watering place, and they have sent me away to recruit my health. My nerves are certainly very much shattered, and I require rest. Then a little frog with bright bejeweled eyes and a green mottled coat swam up to him. A new arrival, I see, said the frog. Well, after all, there is nothing like mud. Give me rainy weather and a ditch, and I am quite happy. Do you think it will be a wet afternoon? I'm sure I hope so. But the sky is quite blue and cloudless. What a pity. <laughs> said the rocket, and began to cough. What a delightful voice you have, cried the frog. Really, it is quite like a croak. And croaking is, of course, the most musical sound in the world. You will hear our glee club this evening. We sit in the old duck pond close by the farmer's house, and as soon as the moon rises, we begin. It is so entrancing that everybody lies awake to listen to us. In fact, it was only yesterday that I heard the farmer's wife say to her mother that she could not get a wink of sleep at night on account of us. It is most gratifying to find oneself so popular. <coughs> said the rocket angrily. He was very much annoyed that he could not get a word in. A delightful voice, certainly, continued the frog. I hope you will come over to the duck pond. I am off to look for my daughters. I have six beautiful daughters, and I am so afraid that Pike may meet them. He is a perfect monster and would have no hesitation in breakfasting off them. Well, goodbye. I have enjoyed our conversation very much, I assure you. Conversation indeed, said the rocket. You have talked the whole time yourself. That is not conversation. Somebody must listen, answered the frog, and I like to do all the talking myself. It saves time and prevents arguments. But I like arguments, said the rocket. I hope not, said the frog complacently. Arguments are extremely vulgar, for everybody in good society holds exactly the same opinions. Goodbye a second time. I see my daughters in the distance, and the little frog swam away. You are a very irritating person, said the rocket, and very ill-bred. I hate people who talk about themselves as you do, when one wants to talk about oneself as I do. It is what I call selfishness, and selfishness is a most detestable thing, especially to anyone of my temperament, for I am well known for my sympathetic nature. In fact, you should take example by me. You cannot possibly have a better model. Now that you have the chance, you had better avail yourself of it, for I am going back to court almost immediately. I am a great favourite at court. In fact, the prince and princess were married yesterday in my honour. Of course you know nothing of these matters, for you are a provincial. There is no good talking to him, said a dragonfly who was sitting on the top of a large brown bulrush. No good at all, for he has gone away. Well, that is his loss, not mine, answered the rocket. I am not going to stop talking to him merely because he pays no attention. I like hearing myself talk. 
it is one of my greatest pleasures. I often have long conversations all by myself, and I am so clever that sometimes I don't understand a single word of what I am saying. Then you should certainly lecture on philosophy, said the dragonfly, and he spread a pair of lovely gauze wings and soared away into the sky. How very silly of him not to stay here, said the rocket. I am sure that he has not often got such a chance of improving his mind. However, I don't care a bit. Genius like mine is sure to be appreciated someday. And he sank down a little deeper into the mud. After some time, a large white duck swam up to him. She had yellow legs and webbed feet and was considered a great beauty on account of her waddle. Quack, 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 she said. What a curious shape you are. May I ask, were you born like that, or is it the result of an accident? It is quite evident that you have always lived in the country, answered the rocket. Otherwise, you would know who I am. However, I excuse your ignorance. It would be unfair to expect other people to be as remarkable as oneself. You will no doubt be surprised to hear that I can fly up into the sky and come down in a shower of golden rain. I don't think much of that, said the duck, as I cannot see what use it is to anyone. Oh, if you could plough the fields like the ox, or draw a cart like the horse, or look after the sheep like the collie dog, that would be something. My good creature, cried the rocket in a very haughty tone of voice, I see that you belong to the lower orders. A person of my position is never useful. We have certain accomplishments, and that is more than sufficient. I have no sympathy myself with industry of any kind, least of all with such industries as you seem to recommend. Indeed, I have always been of opinion that hard work is simply the refuge of people who have nothing whatever to do. Well, well, said the duck, who was of a very peaceable disposition and never quarreled with anyone. Everybody has different tastes. I hope, at any rate, that you are going to take up your residence here. Oh dear no, cried the rocket. I am merely a visitor, a distinguished visitor. The fact is that I find this place rather tedious. There is neither society here nor solitude. In fact, it is essentially suburban. I shall probably go back to court, for I know that I am destined to make a sensation in the world. I had thoughts of entering public life once myself, remarked the duck. There are so many things that need reforming. Indeed, I took the chair at a meeting some time ago and we passed resolutions condemning everything that we did not like. However, they did not seem to have much effect. Now I go in for domesticity and look after my family. I am made for public life, said the rocket, and so are all my relations, even the humblest of them. Whenever we appear, we excite great attention. I have not actually appeared myself, but when I do so, it will be a magnificent sight. As for domesticity, it ages one rapidly and distracts one's mind from higher things. Ah, the higher things of life, how fine they are, said the duck. And that reminds me how hungry I feel. And she swam away down the stream, saying, quack, quack, quack. Come back, come back, screamed the rocket. I have a great deal to say to you. But the duck paid no attention to him. I am glad that she is gone, he said to himself. She has a decidedly middle-class mind and he sank a little deeper still into the mud and began to think about the loneliness of genius when suddenly two little boys in white smocks came running down the bank with a kettle and some meatballs.
This must be the deputation, said the rocket, and he tried to look very dignified. Hello, cried one of the boys. Look at this stick. I wonder how it came here. And he picked the rocket out of the ditch. Old stick, said the rocket. Impossible. Gold stick. That is what he said. Gold stick is very complimentary. In fact, he mistakes me for one of the court dignitaries. Let us put it into the fire, said the other boy. It will help to boil the kettle. So they piled the meatballs together and put the rocket on top and lit the fire. This is magnificent, cried the rocket. They are going to let me off in broad daylight so that everyone can see me. We will go to sleep now, they said. And when we wake up, the kettle will be all boiled. And they lay down on the grass and shut their eyes. The rocket was very damp, so he took a long time to burn. At last, however, the fire caught him. Now I am going off, he cried, and he made himself very stiff and straight. I know I shall go much higher than the stars, much higher than the moon, much higher than the sun. In fact, I will go so high that fizz, 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 and he went straight up into the air. Delightful, he cried. I shall go on like this forever. What a success I am. But nobody saw him. Then he began to feel a curious tingling sensation all over him. Now I'm going to explode, he cried. I shall set the whole world on fire and make such a noise that nobody will talk about anything else for a whole year. And he certainly did explode. Bang, bang, bang went the gunpowder. There was no doubt about it. But nobody heard him, not even the two little boys, for they were sound asleep. Then all that was left of him was a stick, and this fell down on the back of a goose who was taking a walk by the side of the ditch. Good heavens, cried the goose. It is going to rain sticks. And she rushed into the water. I knew I should create a great sensation, gasped the rocket. And he went out. The Selfish Giant Every afternoon as they were coming from school, the children used to go and play in the giant's garden. It was a large, lovely garden with soft green grass. Here and there, over the grass, stood beautiful flowers like stars, and there were twelve peach trees that in the springtime broke out into delicate blossoms of pink and pearl, and in the autumn bore rich fruit. The birds sat on the trees and sang so sweetly that the children used to stop their games in order to listen to them. How happy we are here, they cried to each other. One day, the giant came back. He'd been to visit his friend, the Cornish ogre, and had stayed with him for seven years. After the seven years were over, he had said all that he had to say, for his conversation was limited, and he determined to return to his own castle. When he arrived, he saw the children playing in the garden. What are you doing here? he cried in a very gruff voice, and the children ran away. My own garden is my own garden, said the giant. Anyone can understand that, and I will allow nobody to play in it but myself. So he built a high wall all round it and put up a notice board. Trespassers will be prosecuted. He was a very selfish giant. The poor children had now nowhere to play. They tried to play on the road, but the road was very dusty and full of hard stones and they did not like it. They used to wander round the high wall when their lessons were over, 
and talked about the beautiful garden inside. How happy we were there, they said to each other. Then the spring came, and all over the country there were little blossoms and little birds. Only in the garden of the selfish giant, it was still winter. The birds did not care to sing in it, as there were no children, and the trees forgot to blossom. Once a beautiful flower put its head out from the grass, but when it saw the notice board, it was so sorry for the children that it slipped back into the ground again and went off to sleep. The only people who were pleased were the snow and the frost. Spring has forgotten this garden, they cried, so we will live here all the year round. The snow covered up the grass with her great white cloak, and the frost painted all the trees silver. Then they invited the north wind to stay with them, and he came. He was wrapped in furs, and he roared all day about the garden and blew the chimney pots down. This is a delightful spot, he said. We must ask the hail on a visit. So the hail came. Every day for three hours, he rattled on the roof of the castle till he broke most of the slates, and then he ran round and round the garden as fast as he could go. He was dressed in grey, and his breath was like ice. I cannot understand why the spring is so late in coming, said the selfish giant, as he sat at the window and looked out at his cold, white garden. I hope there will be a change in the weather. But the spring never came, nor the summer. The autumn gave golden fruit to every garden, but to the giant's garden she gave none. He is too selfish, she said, so it was always winter there, and the north wind and the hail and the frost and the snow danced about through the trees. One morning the giant was lying awake in bed when he heard some lovely music. It sounded so sweet to his ears that he thought it must be the king's musicians passing by. It was really only a little Lynette singing outside his window, but it was so long since he had heard a bird sing in his garden that it seemed to him to be the most beautiful music in the world. Then the hail stopped dancing over his head, and the north wind ceased roaring, and a delicious perfume came to him through the open casement. I believe the spring has come at last, said the giant, and he jumped out of bed and looked out. What did he see? He saw a most wonderful sight. Through a hole in the wall the children had crept in, and they were sitting in the branches of the trees. In every tree that he could see there was a little child, and the trees were so glad to have the children back again that they had covered themselves with blossoms and were waving their hands gently above the children's heads. The birds were flying about and twittering with delight, and the flowers were looking up through the green grass and laughing. It was a lovely scene, only in one corner it was still winter. It was the furthest corner of the garden, and in it was standing a little boy. He was so small that he could not reach up to the branches of the tree, and he was wandering all round it, crying bitterly. The poor tree was still quite covered with frost and snow, and the north wind was blowing and roaring above it. Climb up, little boy, said the tree, and it bent its branches down as low as it could, but the boy was too tiny. And the giant's heart melted as he looked out. How selfish I have been, he said. Now I know why the spring would not come here. I will put that poor little boy on the top of the tree 
and then I will knock down the wall, and my garden shall be the children's playground forever and ever. He was really very sorry for what he had done. So he crept downstairs and opened the front door quite softly and went out into the garden. But when the children saw him, they were so frightened that they all ran away, and the garden became winter again. Only the little boy did not run, for his eyes were so full of tears that he did not see the giant coming. And the giant stole up behind him and took him gently in his hand and put him up into the tree. And the tree broke at once into blossom, and the birds came and sang on it, and the little boy stretched out his two arms and flung them round the giant's neck and kissed him. And the other children, when they saw that the giant was not wicked any longer, came running back, and with them came the spring. It is your garden now, little children, said the giant, and he took a great axe and knocked down the wall. And when the people were going to market at twelve o'clock, they found the giant playing with the children in the most beautiful garden they had ever seen. All day long they played, and in the evening they came to the giant to bid him goodbye. But where is your little companion, he said, the boy I put into the tree. The giant loved him the best because he had kissed him. We don't know, answered the children. He has gone away. You must tell him to be sure and come tomorrow, said the giant. But the children said that they did not know where he lived and had never seen him before, and the giant felt very sad. Every afternoon when school was over, the children came and played with the giant, but the little boy whom the giant loved was never seen again. The giant was very kind to all the children, yet he longed for his first little friend and often spoke of him. How I'd like to see him again, he used to say. Years went over and the giant grew very old and feeble. He could not play about any more, so he sat in a huge armchair and watched the children at their games and admired his garden. I have many beautiful flowers, he said, but the children are the most beautiful flowers of all. One winter morning, he looked out of his window as he was dressing. He did not hate the winter now, for he knew that it was merely the spring asleep, and the flowers were resting. Suddenly, he rubbed his eyes in wonder, and looked and looked. It certainly was a marvelous sight. In the furthest corner of the garden was a tree, quite covered with lovely white blossoms. Its branches were all golden, and silver fruit hung down from them, and underneath it stood the little boy he had loved. Downstairs ran the giant in great joy and out into the garden. He hastened across the grass and came nearer to the child. And when he came quite close, his face grew red with anger, and he said, Who hath dared to wound thee? For on the palms of the child's hands were the prints of two nails, and the prints of two nails were on the little feet. Who hath dared to wound thee? cried the giant. Tell me that I may take my big sword and slay him. Nay, answered the child, but these are the wounds of love. Who art thou? said the giant, and a strange awe fell on him, and he knelt before the little child. And the child smiled on the giant and said to him, You let me play once in your garden. Today you shall come with me to my garden, which is paradise. 
and when the children ran in that afternoon, they found the giant laying dead under the tree, all covered with white blossoms. <laughs>